Ref Focus with Maples Teasdale, the law firm where real estate really matters. Happy New Year. Welcome to the Ref Focus or Refocus podcast, where we discuss our top takeaways on current market topics. I'm Brooke, and today we welcome Robin Barnes from our planning department onto the show to discuss all things planning when it comes to financing. As regular listeners will be aware, we tend to try and pick out five key digestible issues on a given topic. And so the first and most obvious of these is, why is planning particularly relevant to finance and lenders? And why would the concerns be any different compared to just a regular buyer? Hi, Brooke. Well, as you allude to, a great deal of the issues that are relevant to a lender are also going to be relevant to a buyer of a particular property. So when it comes to Maples Teasdale doing our due diligence on a property, whether it's the planning team, construction team, or the property team, we will be keeping an eye out for many of the same issues. That said, there are some issues with properties that are likely to be of even greater concern to a lender. Properties with very complex titles, renovating derelict buildings that can't currently be used or lent against, or properties with a short leasehold will often make lenders anxious. As we know, Lenders tend to like safe and low-risk properties and don't want to take a punt on a property in the same way an investor might be prepared to. Yes, that makes sense and reflects what we see in finance. High risk, high reward is what the borrower has its eye on, but not the lender. Okay, so moving on to the second of our five, what is the first thing you consider when it comes to planning reporting? The first thing I'm looking for from a planning perspective is the use. Obviously, what you're looking for is the permitted use to line up with the actual use. What you don't want is a property where you can't actually use it for the use you want, or at least not without the risk of running into enforcement issues with the local planning authority. This inability to use the property as intended would likely have a pretty profound effect on the value of the property and would usually make a lender run a mile. The preferred position is that you'll have a nice, neat planning permission that tells you your shop was granted planning permission to be built out as a shop. If not planning permission, then you may have a lawful use certificate at a later date confirming that you were granted permission to change your property into a shop. It is often the case with older buildings that there's no planning permission or lawful use certificate, especially those that were built out before the advent of the modern planning system. They will appear to have no permitted use on paper, and in these situations, you would want to establish 10 years continuous use of a particular use type. If a buyer cannot lawfully use the property, then they would have to think very carefully about their options and their chances of successfully obtaining a new lawful use certificate. Of course, most purchasers of new developments or redevelopments are subject to planning, and so that way, a buyer and their lender can ensure that the purchase shall only go ahead if the local planning authority will grant the use the buyer requires. Okay, that definitely makes sense as a first port of call. You mentioned old buildings. I suppose heritage issues are something you'll also be reporting on. Can we call that our third topic? Yes, we definitely can. I'm always reporting on heritage issues and they often throw up difficult issues for buyers and lenders alike. Fundamentally, if the property in question is listed or in a conservation area, this may limit the buyer from being able to operate the property as they wish. 
This might be because of the physical constraints of the property and listed material that cannot be altered or removed, but it could also be that the change of use that the buyer envisages is not permitted in that area. This might be because of the physical constraints of the property and listed material that cannot be altered or removed, but it could also be that the change of use that the buyer envisages is not permitted in that area. Being in a conservation area, or for that matter any area where the local planning authority has seen fit to limit permitted development rights, usually through an Article 4 direction, may mean limits on the use, how you can develop the site, or limits on hours of use, etc. Whether the property is a heritage asset is likely to have been considered at the outset by any prospective buyer, and any constraints factored into their scheme. However, there are some high-profile cases where things came out of the blue. Listing can have massive knock-ons when a building is listed unexpectedly. Firstly, it can drastically lower the development potential of a property, such as in the John Walker case. Here, a Victorian warehouse was sold for $1.7 and then it was listed two days later. Once listed, it was then valued at just £210,000 because the building could no longer be demolished and the site redeveloped for a different use. Secondly, listing can mean a developer can be hit with massive repair costs to bring it up to the required standard for a listed building, as was the case in Cavendish and Spencer. Here, a manor house was valued at £1.5 and then listed. However, listing requires that you do not let the thing fall into disrepair. This resulted in huge repair bills and these liabilities meant that the property was then only valued at £250,000. Blimey, these are obviously both nightmare scenarios for a buyer and a lender. And so it pays to understand the heritage issues at the outset. Presumably, the next stage of your due diligence process is examining the various planning permissions. What are you looking for here? Well, one of the main things I do as a solicitor acting for a borrower or a buyer is then look at the details in the main planning permission and then those in any subsequent planning permissions related to it. I'm looking to see what the conditions in the planning permission are and I have to consider if the conditions in the permission have been complied with. Conditions can relate to a wide variety of things. Some conditions may relate to the actual management of the property, such as operating hours or parking arrangements, which, though relevant to a potential buyer, will often be of less concern to a lender. However, when it comes to more onerous conditions, things along the lines of you shan't occupy the block until you've completed the construction of X, Y and Z, the lender is going to want assurances that these conditions have been complied with. The same goes for Section 106 agreements, which is a term many non-planners might have heard but not be that familiar with. These agreements are used for a development where it is not possible to address the unacceptable impacts of a development through just a planning condition. This typically includes requirements to provide contributions towards local infrastructure. These can be very significant payments, so again, lenders will want assurances that these obligations have been discharged and that any contributions have been fully paid. Just briefly on this, in terms of other things I'm looking for, lenders will also want to know if any community infrastructure levy or SIL liability has been thought about and whether that's been fully paid as well. Okay, so the obvious fifth and final question is what happens in these worst case scenarios? What happens if a developer hasn't complied with planning conditions or obligations 
in a planning agreement when they should have done already, especially if they relate to big financial liabilities. If you've got whacking great liabilities outstanding, like the SIL, or contributions under planning agreements, you're going to have to ask more questions. For instance, there might be a valid reason why contributions have not been paid. Has the development not been completed yet? Have the payments actually been triggered? If they have been triggered, we would expect that the lender would insist that these are paid prior to any drawdown of funds. If a developer just hasn't complied with planning conditions in a planning permission or obligations in a planning agreement when they should have done already, the consequences can range from reasonably serious to very serious. The worst case scenario is that the local planning authority could potentially injunct against taking occupation, which would obviously have major financial impacts on the buyer and therefore represent a serious risk for the lender. Generally, however, this approach is a last resort for the local planning authority. The normal procedure is for them to warn that they think there's a breach and then give a period of time to rectify this before any enforcement action is taken. As a result, it is imperative that we make inquiries on the lender's behalf about any enforcement action, whether ongoing or even if the parties are aware of anything that could lead to potential enforcement action in the future. It's also worth noting here that unauthorised works to list of buildings can actually result in criminal proceedings and potentially a two-year prison sentence or an unlimited fine. Whilst a custodial sentence is not a direct risk for a lender, an unlimited fine may raise a few eyebrows. And there you have it. Navigating the intricate landscape of property transactions demands meticulous attention, particularly in the realms of planning, heritage, and compliance. Thanks for joining us, Robin. Until next time, thanks for listening. Ref Focus with Maples Teasdale, the law firm where real estate really matters.